0: Thank you very much, uh, Kaomi, today for being my first guest on the Views podcast. I'm Thank very, you. very happy to have you.
1: Thanks, Landis.
0: Um, like I told you, this is um, for the people out there who are listening. Uh, Kaomi is a very good friend of mine, so um, this is just going to be almost like another conversation. And I think that's mm-hmm. was that's the that's the unique part of Views, um, unlike most other podcasts where the the um, lead host just puts all his opinions out there and then asks five questions. Now we're actually going to talk today, so um, let's get it. Uh, let's get it started. All right. So today my my uh, my guest is Keone, uh D. Jesus. You know, every time I say your name, I always feel like I'm announcing you on stage. <laughs> the way it sounds. It's a celebrity name. It's a celebrity name, <laughs> Kiyomi <Keone> D. <De> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it has that feel to it. So, um, but uh, Kiyomi is an emotional coach, uh, a very good friend of mine, um, somebody who I uh, met earlier this year, and somebody that, you know, I think very highly of, or I wouldn't have brought her on my show, and somebody who's enlightened me in many ways that I feel like um, she could be, some of her experiences and and advice could be um, very important and influential to other people uh, out there, so... Uh, Kiyomi, uh, what, what made you even want to help people or get involved, um, with people and becoming an emotional coach? Cause that's not something that most people really do.
2: You know, man, like where do you start with that question?
0: It is. I know.
2: So I've met a lot of people who just have an inner desire to serve other people. Right. And I do think that, that that's not uncommon. You know, I feel like when you go into churches, right. like, and that's part of the reason that, you know, growing up, I loved church. Right. Was because there were just people who, who just genuinely wanted to help other people. Of course. And the difficulty is figuring out a way to help people and make it accessible. hmm but also to monetize it right. so that you can support your family and help people at the same time, right? Right. Um but I think so many people feel this calling to, to help others. And I think millennials get ragged on a lot
0: Why? for
2: this. Because we all want to change the world. We do. we do, right? We do. And we all want to have an impact. And so in that way, I am so basic. Right. Like, I am like, I fit that millennial mold, right. where I want to have an impact. Uh-huh. Um, and I realized that for me, the way to do that mm. was to listen to people and to acknowledge people right. and to see them, um, and to, to really see them and accept them where they're at.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, free of judgment. right. And also allow them to, to heal, you know, like those, those conversations where we're seen and we're heard and we're not judged. It's, it's cathartic. Right. Um, but I'll be honest, I couldn't do it in a therapy setting. You couldn't? I couldn't. Um, there's just, there's a few tenets of therapy that I, that I disagree with in my soul. Okay. And... Honestly, I can't even verbalize them. Hmm. They're just things that, as I took courses in psychology and sociology, they just didn't sit well with me. And it didn't didn't feel right. Do
0: you have an example?
2: ah, I do. Hmm. I do. Um, One of the main things that they believe is that trauma cannot be healed. That it can only be dealt with. We only learn how to cope with trauma. And in my core, I just disagree with that. When I look at the miracle mm-hmm. that exists in life. Right. And in this earth and the space that we take up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I just believe that if there is a way to create damage. Right. There's a way to heal.
0: There's a way to heal. And... So coping is, is not the only option.
2: I don't believe so. And... Th- Whenever somebody says that we can't heal trauma or we can't... All we can do is learn how to cope with it. Right. Like, I literally... Cringe. Cringe, yes. I have... My body has a physical reaction to that statement. Right. And I just want to say, no, that's not true. I don't believe that's true. Right. And so that led me on another journey to to find a way to heal to, heal. to truly heal right um mm-hmm. instead of just learning those coping mechanisms right
0: mm-hmm. it's funny that you mentioned that that you mentioned that because i think that was honestly <laughs> this may be my first i'm telling you but that was one of the things that made me attract to you as a person was when i first met you it was it was a spirit you know and i mean you know me i'm not a really religious guy just yeah. use the whole spiritual term but um it was a, it was something about you that you didn't you didn't walk around. or Nothing screamed. I'm an emotional coach, or I help people, or I'm a listener. Because you're a really good listener, by the way. Thanks. You're a really good listener. And something about you that attracted me. to just one day ask you, what the hell do you do? <laughs> Why the hell do I always just want to talk to you <laughs> and tell you all my problems? And and uh, so it's crazy that you said that. Uh, that that was one of the reasons because. Uh, know, people some, we we live in a society where people seem is a very competitive world yeah. um nobody wants to seem like they're they're um i don't know what's the words what's the good word but they are they need help in any way you know we, we live in a world where perfection is is uh is
2: it's praised. it's
0: praised, you know, and we live in a. I mean, it's not even possible if you look at the world and the, it's
1: not.
0: right in our environment. So, um, does it does it necessarily get, does it get exhausting mentally, like taking on people's problems and listening?
2: You know, I I think it definitely mentally. carries the potential, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I carry a responsibility to take care of myself okay. first. Because if I'm not in a good space, then listening to somebody else can be burdensome. Um, Especially if what they're telling me is triggering something in myself. Mm. So, um, for example... um, oh, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um...
0: It's crazy because people don't think the, uh, the, the our professionals like psychologists and these people have. We we tend to think that they're robots. Like they don't have personal emotions and feelings that they're going through as well. So. Yeah.
2: So okay. So first, I'm going to start off by saying, um, I worked with another um, energy worker, and she told me something very beautiful because it, it is easy for me, and I think it's easy for everybody. To, to hold on to the energy of other people, right? Right. That's why when you're driving and somebody flips you off, mm-hmm. it's really easy for that to ruin your whole day right. because you've just absorbed the energy of that person, right? Of
0: course. That's me on. That's me every day, by the
2: way. Right. What? <laughs> like, hello, traffic. Right. Like, let's be real. That's why road rage is what road rage is, right? <laughs> like, because. But then you take that to work, and that energy then transfers onto somebody else, mm-hmm. and it gets taken out on somebody else. And so this friend of mine, she said, Kiyomi, you have to let other people's energy be like the wind. You feel it and you know it's there, but you don't hold on to it.
1: Okay.
2: Like you acknowledge it and then you just let it pass. Right. And that was really powerful to me. And it started me on a journey where... um, one of the things that's really hard you know, for me, it, it used to be, it used to be really hard is when somebody would cl- complain about the same thing over and over again.
0: Well, was it more irritating hearing about it? Or you're like, are you more thinking like, I i mean, the answers are there. How are you not seeing it? Or what, what, what annoyed you about it?
2: You know, I think about like, we all have that friend that's unhappy in life somewhere, whether it's their marriage whether it's their career, right. and they see you. Mm-hmm. You see them every weekend, and they're, you're drinking, and that's what they're complaining about. The, but the, it's the same stuff. Same stuff, different day, right? Different day. And they are just stuck in this hole mm-hmm. of misery. Hmm. But they want to be there, right. right? Because they don't want your advice. Mm-hmm. Because if they wanted your advice, they would have taken your advice 20 conversations, ago, <laughs> 20
0: conversations right? ago right
2: um and so I realized that that was triggering for me mm-hmm. that that was something where I was like why isn't this person getting up off their butt right. and doing something right and when I looked at myself and I looked inward mm-hmm. when I was having those feelings I realized that I'm okay with that person staying where they're at. If that person wants to complain all day long about their circumstance, Mm -hmm. I can listen. But it was triggering my own feelings of feeling stuck. It was triggering my own feelings of not being perfect. Not being
1: perfect, why?
2: It was triggering my own feelings of not feeling worthy because I wasn't perfect. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. And so once I went deep within myself mm-hmm. and i process those emotions for myself right now i can listen to somebody complain about their marriage and i'm just like yeah that's a tough situation
0: so you're able to to detach yourself from the beyond the, um, the, i mean their circumstance
2: yeah like i don't absorb their problem
0: right
2: and and it's a it's a balance right because I want to make sure that I'm present Mm -hmm. and I'm giving that person my energy. So I don't want to disconnect and be like, oh, well, (laughs) that's your problem. (coughs) I mean, you're going to be complaining about it next week. (laughs) Right? Like, I want to be there for them. Right. Um, Because whatever it is that they're looking for, Mm -hmm. whether they're looking for sympathy or support Mm -hmm. or understanding. Or just to be seen and validated. Mm -hmm. I can't provide that to them if I'm judging them. Or if I'm having these thoughts of like, well, then get off your ass and do something different. Right. You know, like I can't truly be present for them. Right. And so for me, the goal is, is to be present. Just be present. And if I'm triggered, if what they're saying to me is draining, that's a sign to me that I need to go in myself. Right. And so, yeah, like there are times where it's exhausting. Right. But that just tells me that I need to go into myself. And I need to look at myself and figure out why it's exhausting. Um, And then once I do that, and once I heal that part of myself, I can go back into that conversation. And I can be present for that person. And I can provide them the support and the love that they need. need.
0: Well, what do you personally get out of um, your profession? Is there any Mm. benefits? than the obvious, but what what do you get out of being an emotional coach?
2: It's... You know, it's selfish, really, right? Because when you make an impact, it feels good, right. and that's what I get. Like, I get to feel good about making an impact in somebody. There are worse life. ways
0: to feel good in this world. There, are more, <laughs> more, there's more selfish ways to feel good. Yeah. Than, and
2: You know, and like, I do have to be careful because I have to make sure that I'm not setting my self-esteem up on that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I have to make sure that. I'm not putting my value as a human on the impact I'm able to make. Like I have to remember that my value Uh is static, you know, Mm. and my value just is. And it's, but that being said, Mm. it still feels good to feel good. Of course. You know? And so, um,
0: Life is about sensations, right? Yes. Right.
2: (laughs) And so when somebody, you know, when I work with somebody who's been um, really struggling with something Mm. And we work together for 45 minutes, and then they send me a text the next day, and they're like, I haven't felt this good in weeks or months or years. Like, that's where that's where I'm like, all right, like right, I'm making a difference in the world. Right. Um, because,
0: that must be so satisfying. Oh, it I can imagine. Is. It
2: is. And I realized a long time ago, you know, like, I have a really good friend, mm-hmm. and he's gregarious. Okay. And he is, like... He's your salesman, you know? Like, right. he can sell ice to an Eskimo. <laughs> he can talk the panties off a nun. This man can, right. like, just sell anything, right? Anything. And he's great in crowds. Mm-hmm. And I always tried to be like him. Mm-hmm. And the moment I stopped, and because I realized he's horrible one-on-one. Mm. He's not good one-on-one. He's not good at at making someone in a one-on-one setting feel seen and heard and validated and that's where i thrive and once i accepted that it completely changed my perspective on what impact meant for me because i realized that the people that made an impact for me Mm -hmm. it happened in quiet moments right like it didn't happen when I was listening to some enthusiastic guy throwing a sales pitch at me right. it didn't happen in a big room with and you know some religious guru right. or self-help guru right. like it happened when somebody sat down and they listened to me and they validated me right. and
0: I know a lady that I met Who's, who did that for Right. Yeah, I'm talking to her now, by the way. <laughs> I'm talking to her now, by
2: the way. You <laughs> planned <is singing.
0: laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah.
2: You know, but I just... I realized how powerful it is... to be able to help somebody one-on-one. Um, and that the world is changed... by individuals. It's... you know, it's not changed by... very rarely... Does a Steve Jobs come along? Rarely. You know, very rarely does an Elon Musk come along. Mm-hmm. But so frequently, mm-hmm. just good people cross your path.
0: Everyday superheroes. Yes. That's what I call them. Yes. They and don't. They don't wear a cape, though. That's the only thing. They but. don't.
2: And you don't see them on TV. Mm-hmm. And you don't see them on
0: social media. Social media. Day.
2: But it's because they're present with the people that they're with. Right. And. I realized I wanted to be that kind of person right. because if I could be that kind of person in my home, if I could affect my daughter first, right. she'd go out and she'd do amazing things. Right. And then you end up with this ripple effect that just ends up being really beautiful.
0: Right. And, and you didn't even need to create a hashtag or didn't need to do anything. It was just it's
2: just me being me. me being me and that was really empowering. To figure out that I could, I could find my strength, right. and I could use that to help people in a genuine way. Right. Um, I realized about six years ago um, I was working with a couple of, you know, Christian missionaries, right. and they wanted to do a service project, and they were just constantly looking to like serve people and you know, do things and stay busy and stay engaged and helping people, and and I remember sitting with them and I said, you know, listening is the greatest act of service that you can give somebody.
0: Mm. Listening.
2: Listening to somebody, and they didn't get it, and they went off, and they still tried to find other service opportunities, (laughs) but, and you know, I just kind of laughed, because I thought, you know, the thing that's really missing, you know, there, there, there are programs out there to get people food. Right. There are programs to get people clothes. Right. There are programs to pay people's electric bills. Right. But there's not a program to give somebody a listening ear yeah. that says, I see you. Right. And, and you're worthy. And you're valid and acceptable yeah. where you're at. Right.
0: And what, what does that do for somebody? giving somebody an ear to say hey listen I'm hearing you out I'm, I'm validating what you're saying um, I may not agree with it but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to open my ears to, to hear you out what, what does that do for somebody
2: I don't know what it does for others <laughs> but for me it healed me Sorry. it healed me and it allowed me to go out into the world a more peaceful more whole right. more conscientious human Um, and from what i've seen it does that for other people but i don't have a study to be able to say that that's what it does (laughs) (laughs) i don't have any science behind it
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think i can tell you that from personal experience i've um i can definitely agree with that statement i've met so many people who didn't they didn't realize that all they needed was maybe an ear. seriously i mean i I know people now um, both men and women uh, rich and poor, you know, occupations, of, I mean, many different occupations, and really gifted people as well. That I can, I'm looking at them, I'm like, wow, you're so gifted, you have so much potential, but maybe what you're lacking is an ear. Yeah, you know, maybe journaling, maybe, you know, you know, maybe having somebody who can actually hear you out. So, so it's crazy that you, when, when you say that, I'm like, I can definitely, it, re- it resonates with me really well because I've seen that in my everyday life. Um, especially somebody like me who, um, and I, as I told you before, I believe that I was, I've always believed I was the smartest person on earth. Every age, I'm telling you, from 10 to like 15, I always felt like, and then once you hit your 20s, then reality hits you like, oh my God, I know nothing.
2: <laughs> that first piece of humble pie is kind of bitter.
0: I hate that pie. <laughs> I hate that pie. Now, so, somebody, somebody in your field. Wh- and, and, I, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. I said that um, people who are in your field, even psychologists and things like that, we always feel like they don't they don't need help or they're Jesus Christ already. They've already figured it out. Would Somebody like you, would you ever go to counseling?
2: Oh, my gosh. I do. Yeah? I have. Okay. Like,
0: And that's real. That's crazy to see it from somebody in your profession. Because most people would think, ah, oh, I know it all too much. I already know. What can I learn?
2: <laughs> I That would be if I ever have a thought close to that, that's my first sign that I need to go see somebody else. <laughs> like, if I think that I have my stuff figured out. Right. Um, just know that the universe is gonna come and whack me
0: like, <laughs> real
2: quick. Just, just know that. Like, so if, if I- I can't if,
0: stand the universe in lessons.
2: I, <laughs> <laughs> say something that, like, like that arrogant to think that I know it all, um, just, just smile and laugh and know that that I'm going to have something coming that right. will show me otherwise. Right. Um, but, because, I will say, like, I, you know, there's, there's quotes around, like, um, pride, and, you know, none of us, I don't think anybody walks around wanting to be prideful and wanting right. to
0: be arrogant. There's no um, real villain in the world.
2: There's not. I, I really don't think so. Um, you know, but what really, you know, you hear people say, the more I learn, the less I I know.
0: Right. The more I learn, the less I know. I had to say that again, because it hit, hit when you first said it, I was just like, mm-hmm. what is, it makes sense.
2: Yeah, like, the more you learn, the less you realize, or the more you realize that... You know so little, right?
0: I think I heard in like a Buddhist, and again, I mean, and you know, like one of those Buddhists like <laughs> saying somewhere online. I'm an Instagram guy, you know me.
1: I love Instagram. It says like
0: somebody who, the man who realizes that he doesn't know it all. I mean, knows something. So I, I get yeah. It.
2: Like there's wisdom and understanding that we lack a lot, right? Individually,
0: just think about it. I mean, just think about the grand scheme of things. How big the world is.
2: Yes. And everybody.
0: Like our brain is almost our universe. Yes. So
2: And it's funny because like I go through these ebbs and flows, which I think everybody does, right? You're Where human. I'm like, I'm like, I feel so smart today. <laughs> like I got this. And you know, and then the universe comes knocking and and lets me know that I it's that a i don't. pie. yeah, seriously. <laughs> Bitter shit. Um But I heard a quote that really changed my perspective and it was something along the lines of today's wisdom is tomorrow's stupidity
0: today's wisdom is tomorrow's stupidity
2: you know and I laugh because that's the cycle I find myself on like one day I'll feel so enlightened and I'll feel so smart because I've got something figured out and then the next day I was like, what was I thinking yesterday? Like, was I smoking something? (laughs) Was I, like, was I high on something? Mm -hmm. Like, did I, did I trip and hit my head? (laughs) Like, what on earth? Like, you know, and it's funny because I think that's part of the power of journaling and writing things down is we can go back and look at our stupidities of yesterday and look at ourselves from a much... More wise, right?
0: Self today, right? Because so you're, you're technically a smarter Kiomi today than literally yesterday, right?
2: I hope so, you're right? Um,
0: <laughs> I hope so. But th-
2: you know, that being said, today's Kiomi, yeah. is gonna be rather foolish to ten years from 10 now, Kiomi, and realizing that was having it said to me in that way allowed me to appreciate today's wisdom Mm -hmm. for what it is because it's helping me through today's problems right but also recognizing that my wisdom of today might sound really stupid tomorrow and it helped me kind of laugh at myself and not take myself so seriously on that one
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's real man Uh, i think the more people can hear and know that you know, even the professionals, the ones who are meant, who are here to help us, they are humans too. They also oh go through, um, you know, their everyday struggles and battles as as much as the most enlightened, enlightened person in the world.
2: And can I just say, like, the most sympathetic person you know is also the most damaged, right? Because the reason that they can sit and listen to you, the reason they can sit and be with you and see you is because they haven't been seen. And they recognize the value of providing that. Wow. And so if you think that anybody in the mental health field is perfect and you want help from somebody who's perfect, um, honey you better go find Jesus. (laughs) Because it's that's not how Humanity works, right? Like, the reason we're able to see somebody in their pain is because we've been there. Or we've been in something similar. You know, the what builds character, what builds compassion and empathy is our own hurt. Somebody who's never been hurt or somebody who's turned off, because I don't believe that there's somebody who's never been hurt. Right. But the people who've turned off those emotions, mm-hmm. they're not, they're only fooling themselves. Right? Right. And so, my hope for anybody in the mental health field, right. for anybody who's doing energy work and trying to help other people heal, right. is that they can be honest and real about their own damage. Right. So that they can so that they can keep going on their own path of healing as well. Right. Um, because if not, then those wins become bricks. Right. You know? and, and
0: I feel like they will attract, um, in your case, they will would, would attract more. I mean, they will attract. I mean, they, when, when you humble yourself like that, you attract more people to you. And not saying that, you know, every, maybe everybody in the mental health field might not, their goal might not be to want to help a thousand people. But for you, I mean, for example, you um I think it was your willingness to be humble and just to say, "landis, I'm human, I've been there, even while even having to say it verbally, um, made me feel so much more comfortable to say, "Hey, this is my damage, this is my baggage, this is my laundry, what's up and and um from like I tell you from my from my perspective, that changed everything that made me. That made me become even more comfortable with myself with my thoughts. Knowing that, okay, these thoughts and ideas that I have, they aren't strange. I mean, somebody else has had them on this planet before. Yes. You're, not a, you're not from Pluto.
2: And somebody that you respect, right? Right. Because I feel like that's important. Um, you know, because you don't want to compare yourself to somebody that you don't respect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But thank you. Like, right. that means the world because... That was one of my biggest fears when I started working and doing this type of work was I wasn't perfect and I was so scared that people would find out. Wow. And so I'm I try to be very transparent with my clients okay. and I try to tell them like, you know, if if you're looking for a healer that is perfect right. and who has everything all figured out right you might need to go somewhere else you might need to go somewhere else. <laughs> like you know if you're looking for an emotion coach right that is going to tell you how to not feel emotions anymore
1: mm-hmm.
2: i'm the wrong person mm-hmm. because i just don't believe in that right you know like i don't believe in a world where all we feel are quote-unquote positive emotions right like that would be like living in a world where you're not hungry or thirsty mm. or a world where you don't need sleep mm. like we are hardwired for emotions right. it's a feedback system that our body has developed and created and it's incredibly complex and so to me my goal is teaching people how to work with that feedback system right. um, teaching people how to release those emotions and those deep triggers from childhood and from early relationship trauma right. that created these
0: barriers, roadblocks, yeah. yeah, false beliefs,
2: yes, and these behaviors in us that we don't like, right. right? Like these shadow sides of us that we that we hide the first couple of months we date somebody, right? right. <laughs> like wow. You know, to be able to, to look at that shadow side of ourself and the not pretty side. Right. Um, and to be able to start providing that, that damaged person some healing. Right. Um, so thank you. Like It means the world to me that being open and vulnerable, right. which has really been one of my biggest struggles, right. is... Um, is paying off paying and
0: off. that it's helping other people open up and feel safe. Being vulnerable. Right. And then, and, and then also for people who don't know, because it's not a visual podcast, it's kind of cool because it, it's you it, kill is a white slash Japanese lady. And I'm a black young man. <laughs> I mean, I'm a black man. So we have the, the world will probably think we have nothing in common, but it just shows you what, you know, opening the ear to somebody can do. It can, you can adapt to anybody. It doesn't matter. You can, you can adapt to a kid, In Madagascar, you know anybody. So I love
2: is a universal language, right?
0: Right. And vulnerability,
2: acceptance.
0: Right. It definitely does. Now, one of the one of the main topics that I wanted to um, touch on today was uh, childhood trauma. Oh, (laughs) something that we've um, we've we've talked about in the past before. I wouldn't go into specific detail because that's not anybody's issue. But um, I, I wanted to how can childhood trauma um how can it affect someone into adulthood?
2: Oh my goodness! There is so much science around this yeah. that I'm not educated enough to even begin to explain. Right, but just
0: the basics. I mean. What
2: I can say is that, um, you know, in our brain, in our body, um, we're we our brain is wired to assess a situation and to respond appropriately.
1: Right,
2: and so if mm-hmm. our brain Looks, you know, if you, um, if our brain looks at a tiger and sees danger, it's going to alert all of our systems and our body's going to be all systems go
1: hmm.
2: for survival, which means it shuts down our immune system because honestly, if you've got the flu, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're being chased by a tiger. If you, you know, if you were happy five minutes ago, you know, like whatever logical things are going on, right? It doesn't matter. So your logical thinking, your long-term thinking, your immune system, your digestion, everything shuts down, right. And your body goes into survival mode okay. in heightened emotional situations. Huh. And you know, for those who believe in evolution and subscribe to that, right. um, It's it's evolutionary, right? Like you come out of a cave, you see a lion, right. you, need you need to survive. And then you can worry about everything else later. Right. Um, the difficulty is that we live in a world where we have micro-stressors.
0: Micro-stressors. And, and what, so what is that, um, if you don't mind?
2: A made-up word, really. Okay, that's
0: kind of cool, though. I like that, because <laughs> now that... I was going to go to Google next.
2: <laughs> like... But I can... We don't have lions that are threatening our lives every day. Mm-hmm. But we have bad traffic right. that's a small stress. Mm-hmm. That if we don't process through those emotions and calm down, right. then that system is triggered, right? Okay. Or situations where maybe our life isn't threatened, but situations like sexual abuse,
1: right.
2: where our safety, where our physical safety is threatened. Right. Then, you know, and, and there's studies that show. The effect of childhood trauma on disease, like there's actually a book, "The Epidemiology of Disease okay. and Childhood Trauma," which is the beginning, um, the epidemiology, the the start. Right. The uh, and there is a connection between chronic illness and almost every disease is significantly worse. And takes more years away from somebody who has experienced tra- traumatic events, right? Um, and specifically childhood trauma, because childhood trauma is so—it's we're we're still forming our brains and our systems are still forming, and so we don't have any other truth to go back to, right? right? If you're um, if you're assaulted as an adult, right. then. There's a truth before that assault that existed. Right. But if you're assaulted as a child, right. there's no truth before that. Okay. Like, so that trauma, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to diminish no, no, of assault course you're not. at any point in time. But trauma on a developing brain, mm-hmm. just to say that trauma on a developing brain is different than trauma on an adult brain. Okay. And um, so when you take a child's developing brain,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you introduce this trauma... The amygdala now has these heightened emotions and if there is something else in life that Mm -hmm. happens that triggers one of those emotions Mm -hmm. the childhood brain doesn't have a way to process that and so instead of being able to process the emotion of fear of a bee, for example, their amygdala is going back and processing the fear of the trauma all over again.
0: So it's not necessarily in the bee that it's, it, not the, it's, it's whatever that event was that created that uh,
2: that initial trauma. That initial trauma. And so, in my work, what I do is I go back and find those initial traumas. Right. Help the brain process through them
1: mm-hmm. so
2: that the amygdala can put that down and it can say, Okay, fear seeing this bee. Right. And now it's just the fear of being stung, if that's the fear.
1: Right.
2: Um, instead of the fear of losing personal safety, the fear of shame and. Being invalidated and dismissed and not seen and not heard, right? Um, the fear of being unworthy, the fear of being dirty, right? Like whatever uh, the whatever other emotions are attached. encapsulated okay. and attached to that childhood trauma. So that childhood trauma. Um, and then once you can heal that childhood trauma, right? Then that person can then go out into the world a more whole person, more whole person, and they may have other behaviors because. Emotions and behaviors, it's hard to tell which creates which because they both can create the other, right. right? So if you have a child that was um, Abused mm-hmm. then they can create a lot of protective behaviors moving forward in their life
0: What well, it if it's bad or good?
2: Um, I don't believe in bad or good okay. in this situation like right. that behavior serves them. Okay, right if it's shyness if it's, um, you know, you see. That's piece, their
0: coping mechanism.
2: Right. right. They're using shyness or they're using aggression right. as a means to help them process this trauma. Right. And it's not good or bad. It just, it's their coping mechanism. Right. And I think it's necessary and beautiful and important to recognize that and right. to thank that because that coping mechanism is what's allowed them to continue fighting and surviving right. to the point that they've made it to me right. so that I can help them. Hmm. And so I think it's really important to remove these labels of good good and bad, emo- like good or bad emotions, good or bad coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Like, honey, those coping mechanisms helped you fight and live another day.
0: Right. Thank you. Thank you. It's not going to be ashamed about it. Not at
2: all. Right. Not at all.
0: You know, so what? As when I asked you that question, I noticed um, you almost answered one of my other questions that I had. And uh, that was for the few who don't know what uh, post-dramatic stress disorder is. And most people just attach that to maybe war veterans going through, you know, having flashbacks to, you know, them being in a world, I mean, in the, in the atmosphere of war or whatever that is. But um, PTSD can happen to anybody, depending on uh, what uh, event you've encountered or, or experienced, right?
2: Absolutely. One of the things I do want to say, like, on this note of gratitude, is I'm so grateful to the veterans who have had the courage to speak out and bring light to PTSD. Right. Because prior to them, PTSD was not spoken of And so the fact that it's even hit people's radars is amazing, and I'm so grateful for the attention that it's gotten. Um, But you're right, there is a lot of education to be done in this arena. Where, because um, just like everything, it's a spectrum, right? So somebody who's chronically ill can experience PTSD. The caregiver of that chronically ill person can experience PTSD. Wow. You know, and that's to give a little bit of information about myself. That's where I was. Right. You know, like I had a, I have a daughter. She's eight years old.
0: Yep. Sorry about that.
2: No, no worries. So I have a daughter. She's eight years old and she suffered from chronic illness and I experienced PTSD as her caregiver, which I didn't even know was possible, um, but she, she had severe allergies, and there was a period of time where walking into my kitchen, I couldn't do it. I would stop at the threshold, and I would start to hyperventilate and shake at the thought of trying to go into the kitchen to cook something for her.
0: Wow.
2: And that was just insane to me. You know, like I started having panic attacks while I was driving because of this trauma. Right. And when you're driving, there's so little you have control over. Right. Right. Like, we end up in situations that, that show us how little control we have. And for me, driving was one of those. And so it was very triggering.
0: I hate that place, though. Because it makes me... Uh, I cut you off, but it, it, no, it yeah. brings... Because I have that, but it's different. It's because of flying. It's a, it, I feel shame. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so sad to um, to actually say it like that. But that, um, that's something that I've noticed when, when, when you're in times like that. It's like I actually felt shame.
2: Because we feel like we should be better than that.
0: Right.
2: Which I think is is heartbreaking. That we've created an environment where it's not safe to feel. Because that adds trauma to an already traumatic situation. Right,
1: yeah.
2: And so I really do, I hope that as we become more conscientious as a as a people and as a society and as a world that we're able to allow space for how we feel
0: um do you you think do you think it could prevent other things from happening if we allow people to
2: absolutely i was listening to a podcast this morning
0: right um before coming to another podcast. Before coming
2: here? Yeah. <laughs> Might be addicted to podcasts. Yeah. Might need to work on to a therapist about that. Uh. <laughs> so, Noah Reschetta, he does a podcast called, the Secu- called Secular Buddhism. And he was talking about fear. And he said that people who have overcome fear... They still feel it, but they're intimately familiar with it. Hmm. That's good. And then he brought up another point. So he teaches um, parasail- parasailing? Mm-hmm. I don't remember, but it's um, those big kites right. that you hook up a motor to and you sit in a seat and then you can fly around.
0: Okay, okay. Okay.
2: Um, and he's an instructor. Uh-huh. And he said that to disregard fear right. is actually worse. It's unskillful to disregard fear. Because when you acknowledge fear, you recognize the boundaries and the limits, and you then skillfully navigate. Mm-hmm. Those limits and those boundaries. And you do things that will mitigate potential injuries or potentially, you know, living is risky. Right. And so trying to live without fear doesn't work because then we live unskillfully, right? We do things that are stupid. Right. But when when we acknowledge that fear, when we become intimate with that fear, then we can skillfully... Live right, and we can take skillful risks, and I think that is beautiful. Yeah, and so if, and I think it's the same with every emotion, right? Like he he used the emotion of fear, but if we can skillfully navigate our emotions, if we can learn to skillfully manage them, live with them, and accept them and acknowledge them, then we can come to a place of management, right? right. Um, like the idea of controlling our emotions is um, false. Like we can't control what we feel. Right. right? Like it's a feedback system. Right. Right. And so that's like saying we can control when we're hungry or when we're thirsty or when we're tired. Like, Mm. no, like we can mitigate it. Right. Like, but we are going to feel those things because we're human. We have a feedback system. And so we are going to feel emotions. Right. And we can't control all of the emotions that we feel right but when we allow ourselves the time and space to an acceptance and that non-judgmental space to feel what we do feel right then we can prevent secondary trauma to ourselves through shame or whatever other judgmental harsh thoughts that we and criticism that we lob upon ourselves um And so, to that end, like we have like a peripheral control, we have a secondary control. Right. But, um, but that being said, if that shame and that judgment, if there's a trigger somewhere in our brain that is triggering that shame and judgment, right, then that's another space where we need to give ourselves some leeway and to say that it's okay. It's okay if we feel ashamed it's okay if we feel embarrassed, Um, it's okay. And then we can sit with that, and we can allow it, Mm -hmm. and we can skillfully navigate it, and figure out where it's coming from, and process through it, Mm -hmm. and then eventually it goes away when there's no more to process through.
0: There's no more to process through. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's. With, with, with trauma, one of the things that I've always wondered about it, I always wonder how how many other aspects of my life is whatever trauma that I might have experienced that is affecting and I'm unaware of it.
2: Oh my goodness, that's a good question.
0: I always wondered that, especially now that I'm aware of you know the, the impact of trauma and you know you know things of that nature can the lasting implications that it can have on you in the long run. I was wondering, like, what else am I doing in my life that I might not be aware that (laughs) I'm actually doing? Uh,
2: Just out of that trauma reaction, right? right. Those behaviors that we develop to help us cope with those traumas. Of course. You know...
0: But I don't know. I think it's a
2: good... I think that's a really good question to ask ourselves introspectively. Right. Um in a careful way not to shame ourselves right Right, but to just watch ourselves and be mindful and conscientious of what we're feeling and maybe tracing that back a little bit Um, yeah I think you know as I've done this work for myself I have found that I was almost addicted to anxiety um like i and i want to be careful with that term because i feel like addiction is weaponized against people
0: especially these days
2: yeah and i think you know one of the important things about addiction is that it's not something it's not something somebody chooses right like addiction is a coping mechanism just like so many other things right and so I needed anxiety in my life to so that I could know how to navigate and so I did not consciously and not intentionally but I've been in spaces before where I've sought out anxiety inducing people or experiences to reaffirm my own space in the world Wow (laughs) (laughs) I mean that not
0: many people do that too
2: that is kind
0: of embarrassing to admit, but that's vulnerability for you. It is what it is. I mean, that's what that's that's the beauty. You know. um, our next topic um, kind of goes along with this one is depression.
1: Oh. I feel
0: like more than ever, that's one thing I will give society the credit of of all the other you know mental illnesses out there. Um, I think depression has really resonated with a lot of people as of late. And, Many have come to the table and saying, "Listen, I am experiencing this, and I never knew that, you know, especially somebody like me. I'm I'm from my culture. I'm a black man in the black community. The stigma and the stereotype of you know things like that are like frowned upon.
2: Oh, so, so much. So, good. So, I, so
0: I could I I wouldn't have even opened my mind to believe that. Hey, come on, man. It's me. Like I'm good, bro. Like depression, like that's not a thing with me." Um, how can you, how can, um, how can you tell if somebody, how can you tell if you're really depressed or if you're just having a, a bad day?
2: Um, that's a hard one, Landis.
0: Yeah. That's why I brought you here.
2: Man. <laughs> you know,
0: I cause feel I feel like it can be also, um, abused. A lot of people can sure. use any reason to say, oh, I'm depressed. And to me, I think it kind of takes, it kind of takes away life from the people who are actually dealing with depression on a daily. And, and depression, um, from what I've researched and come and uh, come to know of as of late, is that man a lot of the world is actually seriously suffering from it.
1: Yeah.
0: And some are aware, some are not. Some are in robot mode where they're just existing and not realizing it. Yeah. So, so that that's the reason why I had that question for you. Like, how mm-hmm. can one really tell? If, you know, they're depressed or they're just having a bad day or they created their own circumstances that that made them feel that, OK, now is what was me. So how can.
2: Wow, that's a lot to unpack. All right. Yeah, let's do it. So the first thing I want to say is that just like with PTSD, depression is going to have a spectrum and and we will all hit that spectrum at some point in our life. I do not know anybody who's been honest and vulnerable with me who has not experienced depression at some point in their life. Um, and a lot of the times it's hard to see when you're in it. Um, you know, I, mean, I remember being 15 years old and I watched a commercial and it listed out these symptoms of depression.
0: What, like, age? what age were you?
2: I was 15. 15. And you know, it's like a loss of interest in activities that you normally enjoy. Um, your sleep pattern being off, you know, it, and I honestly don't remember any of the other symptoms, but I remember stepping away from that commercial and realizing that I fit a lot of those symptoms. And I wasn't at a point where I could admit that I was depressed, but as I got further away from that situation... I was able to admit that to myself. Um, and, you know, and then it happened again when I was um, a new mom. Wow. Um,
0: what an awful timing. I mean, sadly, just depression doesn't give a damn long.
2: It doesn't. Like, it really doesn't. And so I. I was um, a relatively new mom. My daughter was less than two years old. And again, like came across some advert and I stopped and I was like, I think I'm depressed. So you didn't go looking for depression. I didn't. And in fact, like had those advertisements never come across my path I would have stayed blissfully in denial and you know it's kind of come to a point where um I've started to recognize behaviors that I that I do when I'm depressed and sometimes they're micro you know sometimes I realize that I'm just spending a lot of time on my phone and not living my life with people that I care about. And that is my number one cue that something's off, that I'm avoiding something. Um, And, you know, sometimes it hits where there are days where I have a really hard time getting out of bed. Or I have a really hard time finding the motivation to shower or brush my teeth. And sometimes it happens all at once. And I'm like, oh, this is depression. And sometimes it is quiet. And I just recognize that I'm silently and quietly avoiding, exhibiting, um, engaging in avoidant behaviors. Right. And so you know one of the practices that i've started to pick up is um taking myself into account okay and i do that in two ways the first way that i do it is in a group situation in a group setting i actually ask myself what it is that i want i account for myself and my desires in that setting Um, The other way that I take myself into account is I actually have time set aside every day where I hold myself accountable for that day and what I did and how I felt and what I engaged in that was benefiting to me and that was um, helpful and growing. And what I engaged in that was diminishing um, or um, maybe I said or did something that was rude or hurtful to somebody else. And so I hold myself accountable and then I and then I try to do better the next day.
0: Right. Um, that, that's hard, especially as an adult. <laughs> I swear, you know, most adults, you can't tell a shit these days. Like what adult oh, doesn't feel like they know it all? Like I told you, um, I felt like I knew it all since I was 10. So to even create time in your day to say, hey, listen, I'm going to take this this time to just be accountable you know, for my day, to look back. And some people, as you were saying that now, I get anxiety thinking about that. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> I have to address myself at some point. <laughs> I have to be real and go back and give myself a report card of how. But I think things like that make you a better person. It makes you more...
1: Um, contrary
0: to the to you know what most people might believe, it makes I think it it makes you a better person. Not saying like not justifying good or bad, but just as a whole, like inside you're like, hmm. yeah, that was a tough meeting with myself addressing myself today, but wow, I I feel better. Absolutely. But the first train of thought, as you said that, I was like, oh my god, I gotta check myself today. I gotta be real with myself man. and go back and analyze how I went about my day. That just kind of scares me.
2: I feel like. Part of that, though, is also being proud of yourself.
0: Wow. Like, when
2: you do something good,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: you deserve to be proud of yourself for that. Right. You know, you deserve to pat yourself on the back. And so taking yourself into account doesn't just mean that you're beating yourself up for everything you did wrong. Mm -hmm. It also means congratulating yourself genuinely for the things that you did right.
1: Right, right.
2: And I, you know, and um, I hope that that would create less anxiety.
1: Right.
2: And and more acceptance. Um, I also feel like it helps me come back to myself faster, right? So if I'm in an argument and my ego starts to get out of control, (laughs) um, then the more I take myself into account, I'm like, oh, Wait when i come back to this tonight right how do i want this to go okay right right like and so it helps me check my ego right and be more conscientious faster Mm -hmm. in those moments and i feel like that's really what being a mindful person
0: is right like that's why we meditate that's why we do all those things
2: right like there's no such thing as overcoming the ego right like we, we have ego. We're
0: human.
2: Right. Um, and so... Th- the ego
0: can be used in a, in, in a positive way, I'm sure, in some way.
2: Absolutely. Because, like...
0: Because the ego gets a bad rap, obviously, because yeah. of the way, once again, we humans um, choose to show it or express it.
2: Yeah.
0: Or experience it. But do you think that, I mean, the ego kind of gets a bad rap because...
2: You know, I, yeah, I do. Okay. You know, we're so accustomed to viewing things in terms of moral value good, bad. Um, and so we apply that to everything uh, because it's easy. It's easy to categorize people right like if you can say oh that's a bad person right. that's a good person then it becomes very easy to categorize people right and it's the same thing for behaviors and emotions and um it's it's hard to open up space for this great area uh-huh. uh, and it's really challenging to allow space for um but i think removing that judgment right and then just allowing the ego to be what it is. Right. It's a teacher. It's a teacher. But so is... So is mindfulness. Mindfulness. Right? Like, they're right. both teachers. And it's up to us to pick up the lessons.
0: Right. Instead of trying to avoid it. Oh. Um, the next topic we're going to jump into... Um, I'm actually just going to go uh, directly into it because it's something that uh, I, I feel like it's... Mm-hmm. It's a topic of conversation in America. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but goodness. but uh, before we jump onto it, and uh, I think you know what I'm, I'm referring to, but I just want to ask one more question about depression. Um, yeah. Now, is depression, mm-hmm. is it genetic? I mean, could it get it? Or is it something that, you know, you develop over time? Or could it be something Or Oh, my goodness.
2: There's going to be a day where people are going to be sick of hearing me say this. Yeah. But there... Um, the short answer is it, it can be genetic. Okay. Um, it can be trauma induced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanna I wanna say this because we recognize as a society that physical traits are genetic. Okay. And we're even starting to recognize that some personality traits are genetic.
1: Huh.
2: Um we haven't there's so much about genetics that we don't understand. Right. And that we can't test for. Right. You can't look at somebody's genetics and see an emotion on there. But there, there was an experiment that was done. Some scientists took a mouse or a rat mm-hmm. and put it in a maze.
1: Right.
2: And at a certain point in that maze, mm-hmm. there was um, a stimulus mm-hmm. that caused the mouse to get electrocuted. Okay. And so the mouse got electrocuted. The mouse never went to that point in the maze again. And for 14 generations, the children and the posterity of that mouse would not go to that spot in the maze, even though the stimulus was gone. And if they did come to that spot in the maze, they would freeze. And then they would turn around.
0: Do you know how crazy and mind-blown blowing is?
2: Isn't that insane? Do you know how
0: many other things that explains in this world? If, if that right? experiment could be consistent throughout life and could be used in any other um, situation. Do you know how much that explains? So
2: much. So much. Like, that's why history just repeats itself, right? Like,
0: when 14 you... Fourteen generations
2: down. Crazy, right? I mean, like a mouse.
0: To me, six generations alone should be enough to, to be... To raise a red flag to say... Okay, we might need to assess this this in another way.
2: And this. one generation is mm-hmm. considered to be twenty-five years in human terms. That's crisis. crazy. So six generations—that's one hundred and fifty years. One
0: hundred and fifty years.
2: That's not that long ago.
0: That's not that long. Ago. Really, is not.
2: It's not. And like, imagine all the trauma uh-huh. that humanity has experienced in the last one hundred and fifty years—just uh-huh. the last six generations. Right. And we, in our genetics, mm-hmm. could still be carrying around that trauma. You know, like that's insane
0: to me. That's insane. That that actually makes me. Um, it kind of is a good crossover into our into our next topic, and that's um, that's racism in America. Oh. Yeah, and how? And there are a few people who believe that racism towards, especially African Americans and people of color. Um, some would say, I would not never put names out here, but some would say, oh, you are um, racially paranoid, always in your head, or, you know, the world America's a different place. But when you use that analogy or that example with the rat, and some would say, well, you know, people, black people in America, you know, they're choosing their own destiny right now. They're choosing to live in the ghettos. They're choosing to be, quote-unquote, hood rats. They're choosing to be, as Hillary Clinton says... Um, menace to society, or oh. I forgot her terminology. I like I like Hillary. You know, it gets worse than her. So I, I'll yeah. say, but um, and 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 some would, and, and some don't try to. I want to know accountability is not a word, but some try to downplay it and say, oh no, you you know that that's 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 made up, that's all created by today by the courts or by the and wish that. You, there's a point in some yeah. but when you talk about trauma lasting generations with that rat I mean think about people forget slavery was not that long ago it wasn't in the grand scheme of things it wasn't that long ago so to see some people um, in the black community and in other community of color um, act a certain way and show a certain form of aggression or anger or lack of understanding or comprehension it makes me think like, wow, could this be genetics? I mean You know I, I mean to a certain extent's point. I mean everybody in this world has a choice. We all have a choice in what we do. But there are some things that are beyond us and somebody who's not enlightened to neuroscience or the brain or how the brain works could just be living in blood and not knowing that maybe some of the reasons for what what I mean for the, some of the reasons for what they do what what they do yeah. is genetic. The influence or some of these people are still traumatized. By their ancestors for what their ancestors went through so that that was the reason why I said it was a good segue into our yeah. next topic
2: oh geez okay so I don't want to be reductive
0: I is not a black woman by the way so this I'm is not. It's not she's not biased we just
2: um so I want to say two things mm-hmm. first off I want to give a disclosure and I want to say that um, I, I used to believe it, that we lived in a post-racial America. I, I really lived in an area where racism wasn't a problem. I lived in an area where those stereotypes weren't an issue. Um, where, um, for the most part, people weren't treated differently for the color of their skin and if they were it was microaggressions um you know nobody was denied housing nobody was denied basic services nobody um was abused or beaten uh, or you know not allowed some basic privilege because of the color of their skin right um and i was wrong um I was wrong. And what led me to this was obviously a journey, but what started it was um, a lot of conversations around Obama becoming president. Honestly, for me,
1: um,
2: I, I had a friend who... strong black female girl and um, woman now. She was, I say girl, she was in high school. Right. And she was a ferocious advocate for social justice. Right. And at first, I will admit that I was dismissive of a lot of her point of views. And eventually, I had a reckoning day where... I stopped and I had to ask myself what if I am right? What if we do live in a post-racial world? And but what would cause a person to feel so invalidated and so dismissed that they would have to stand up and say, black lives matter. And when I asked that question, the universe answered in a big way. And I was shown the injustice in our justice system. I was shown the real numbers, like adjusted for so many other factors around black men, especially being treated and viewed as criminals. The harsher sentences they receive for the same crimes with the same quote-unquote criminal backgrounds than their white counterparts or even their hispanic counterparts um the view that they are somehow aggressive um more aggressive than other men and i i just realized i was wrong and the best way that I can correct that wrong is by advocating, you know, by doing the opposite of what I did before. Right. You know, before I was dismissive and I was invalidating and I was judgmental.
1: Right.
2: And when I opened myself up to listening to the community, mm-hmm. to the African American community, and understanding their experience is valid, even if I didn't experience it, even You're if right. I didn't understand
1: right.
2: that their experience was still valid. Um, you know and and now, you know it's I, I can't say that I can advocate mm-hmm. because I still am a very privileged Japanese American. I have the privilege of proximity to whiteness. Right. Um ethnically I look very androgynous. Right. You know, most people can't look at me and tell what race I am. I couldn't. And I so, personally <laughs> could not <laughs> yeah. right. And so I get the privilege of having this proximity to whiteness where I get a lot of the white privilege. Right. And um and I didn't realize it, but um now I do, and so now I I try to be an ally.
1: Right.
2: And if I see um, a person of color who's being mistreated, right. I try to use my proximity to whiteness right. to to advocate for that person in that in that circumstance. Um, and whether that's them being treated differently at a restaurant or a grocery store,
0: right. Or. Um, and that's that's very. That's hard to say because I have oh, never, I have never, um, I've met some good people who were white, obviously. Yeah. Um, I'm one not to generalize too much, but I've met some people who were white who helped me out in times of need, um, but still was never able to say some of the things that you're saying. And to me, I don't think it, it takes away anything from you. To me, it makes me. I applauded, but I also gained a new sense of respect for somebody to say that. Thank you. For somebody to be able to say, listen, I understand the cards that were dealt, and I do know we all might not have been given the same uh, head start or that. Yes, this did, this did happen in America, and in most of the world as well. Yeah. Um, slavery didn't just happen in America. It, it was an extreme in America, but it happened in many other courses around the world. But it's, it's rare when a, a white person or a white slash any other race could say that, you know, I, I, I have, I can acknowledge, you know, whatever privilege that I might have. And now I actually use my platform or, you know, my voice as an advocate for fairness. Because, you know what I mean? Not just some person who's just like, you know, I'm just all black people no matter what. <laughs> no, you're a person. You're a person. And I think you're more for fairness in, in all aspects of life. So I, I can say that, but um, it, it, I wanted to just take time out to say I, I applaud that because it's funny. Um, when I first met you, I don't know if you remember, um, it was in an office setting and growing up in, I'm an African obviously, but growing up, spending most of my life, um, my teenage life where you were starting to develop and understand your mind and your brain and how it works, I almost... I know a lot of black kids in the Northern Virginia area, or people, or black kids who grew up in suburbia areas who have this complex of, well, you know, I'm good and maybe, you know, racism exists, but it's not my battle to fight today, and I will allow, you know, I will allow somebody else to fight the battle. It's not as bad. And it's funny because. You checked me, but check checked me in a good way. And this is usually, I would expect that from a black person. And an older black person is like, no, well, what are you saying? Don't, 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 um, don't, uh, don't just miss the feelings that you have because you live in, a, in an environment right now where to you it might be good, but to a kid in Alabama, a black kid in Alabama, life is totally different. In Louisiana, life is totally different. In Mississippi, compared to Northern Virginia. And so when you said that, it, had, it, it lit a new fire in me, a, a, a fire, um, let me not say fire, because that kind of gets a negative um, feeling when you say that. But you, you, it was an awareness you brought to me that it was like, wow, this is somebody who is not even from my race. telling me, I'm like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't just miss your feelings because you're in the presence of other people that you might want to get along with or um, kind of not have that conversation with them. And from that conversation that day, it really made me say, wow. I'm doing a disservice to a lot of other people who's, who's died and suffered for this opportunity to express their views or, you know, be heard. And I'm here stating like, oh, well, yeah, you know, it's not as bad as it used to be. Like, dude, I came to America in 1999. You know how much? <laughs> <laughs> and luckily my parents, they've always, thankfully, they've always had me in an environment where it was very diverse or where, um, you know, the the majority, which were white people, thrived. And black people, we kind of just went along with that because we're in that environment. But that's not the reality for all people of color or minority groups. So I don't know if you remember that conversation, but it happened. And I was like, this lady, that
1: is crazy. It
0: had me going with driving thinking. And, And it was one of those moments where I had to humble myself and say, bro, you're going about this the wrong way. I don't know who you're trying to please or who you're trying to not ruffle their feathers but you can run away from reality and dismiss the the efforts and feelings of so many people who have died for you to even be in this environment to have a to get a fair paying job like your counterparts your white counterparts or anything like that so i I don't know if you remember that conversation but i like that it it was crazy
2: okay i'll be honest i'm cringing at the thought Uh that like I checked you on something about race. Like yeah. I don't feel like like that is me way out of my lane. Can I not say
0: check then? Maybe
2: i like I'm like I was way out of my lane if that's what happened. No so like, but- I don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, to me it was it was it was like, I felt was embarrassed this- and bad a little bit. I was like,
2: damn Was this the Black Lives Matter conversation? Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah. So
2: I wanna give a little bit of context to Right and, and you weren't
0: starting, you weren't you're not someone who goes around and gets you black shoes like hey well, I mean- you start go march. I That's know how to stir
2: the shit pot. Right. This wasn't one of those occasions.
0: Right. It was a um, general conversation. Right.
2: So, to give a little bit of context, mm-hmm. we were having a conversation um, about Black Lives Matter. Right. And I believe you had asked me if I felt like it was a valid movement. Right. And.
0: Because at the time, I felt like I went about that movement a different way. I said I supported yeah. it. But I hate, the, I hate the label. I hate how it. Comes off,
2: yeah, 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 and okay, you know,
0: and tweets his own kind of thing, and yeah. to me now, I'm, I'm already an Afrocentric kind of guy. I'm all for it, you know. I'll be the first <laughs> one to say, you know, BLM, but I just I choose to use different ways to, you know, influence that. people and express that. So
2: yeah, and I think that's beautiful. I think we, um, yeah, I think the point I was trying to make in that conversation was just that the reason that. The Black Lives Matter movement started was because we continually as a society invalidate the African American the Black American experience. Right. And we continually honestly we gaslight them. Mm-hmm. We tell them that what they see and what they feel mm-hmm. and what they experience isn't what they see and feel and experience. Right. And and that's not okay. Right. That's that's not okay to do to anybody. And so for me you know, having gone on this journey and realize and recognizing the importance of validating and seeing somebody and under and truly understanding somebody, mm-hmm. um, it led me to a point with the Black Lives Matter to realize, like, this is what we've been, how we've been engaging with the African American community as a society as a whole right. is wrong.
1: Right.
2: Um, I mean, I. And so, I'm I'm glad that it had that effect on you.
0: Yeah. Um, I shouldn't have used the word check. Yeah. That was funny. when I that said check. <laughs>
2: like, I just cringed every time. I was like, oh,
0: oh. <laughs> 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 No, man, it's not I my mean, place.
2: I'm out of my lane. If that's what happened.
0: <laughs> you know, no, it's, it's Please not. Please no. No, it's not. It, actually, um, and it's and it, it kind of reminds me of the um the feminist movement.
1: Oh yeah, there's you know, a lot that, of parallels.
0: You're right because somebody like me as a man obviously it's kind of like I'm a white man I can't really I don't want to comprehend what the black man is going through so as a man
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, who has many other male friends both black white you know of all backgrounds who've like made jokes about it um, especially Mm -hmm. from the mean to movement to you know to to many other movements that have brought light to um, women and also people who have been violated sexually in the workplace in life and family is brought light to that, and and so now the idea of a feminist has gotten like a bad rep. Why, why? Why do you? First, I want I want you to tell me what you what your um what your um description of a feminist is, and and why do you think it gets a bad rep from some? I wouldn't say all, because I do yeah. think the movement is. I mean, it's in full right You can't stop the Me Too movement.
2: So true. So I think feminism. Mm-hmm has gotten a bad rap, because there were some very well-connected, very powerful feminists who were not building, and their version of feminism meant that somebody else needed to come down, and i that's not my belief. I don't believe that you need to bring somebody down in order for somebody else to be equal. Right. Um, that right. being said... It's very difficult to let go of a position of privilege like as I I joke that I'm white adjacent right like I'm not white, right. but I'm like white enough right. right. And so as somebody who's been able to being white adjacent, I've been able to um, siphon a lot of the a lot of that white privilege right. and and really even like Asian privilege right right like. Um, and I don't want to diminish the hardships and the racism that experience that the Asian community experiences. Of course. But like the worst um, like racism I've experienced as a Japanese person is that somebody thought I was really good at math.
0: <laughs> it's funny though. <I'm laughs> or that I had like really like,
2: good sushi recipe right. like tucked in my back pocket.
0: Right. Right. Or, like it's, it's ridiculous. It's like it,
2: I can't really call that racism. Like
0: stereotype,
2: stereotype, right? Um, really, there's some really off-color jokes that white people have said, right. but but I can't I can't call that racism, you know? Um, like I have experienced racism from like World War Two vets, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, I think that's under a very different context, of and course. I don't want to I don't want to lump that in here, right? Um, but when I, so when I look at um, just privilege in general, mm-hmm. I see myself, and I see the privileges that I've had, mm-hmm. and it took me having a really difficult, honest look at myself right. to look at someone who didn't get the privileges that I had, and to say that that's an inequality... Okay And that's a, and I want to give that same opportunity to grow to the men who are in power right. around feminism right right like um, can a man be a feminist?: Absolutely. like for me, a feminist is uh-huh. just is anybody who is pro the equality of the sexes like. And that doesn't mean bringing anybody down. Right. Um, you know, like, we don't need to get rid of men in the boardroom. Right. We need to add women. Right. And so, you know, however that's done, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's your choice. Right. If you want to grow boards, if you want to, you know, just as men naturally... There's natural attrition. If you want to just pull women in, like however you want to do that, I don't think it matters. Um, but I don't. A lot of men see that as taking something away from them. Right. And I get that. Like that's scary to feel like you might lose. Right. Right. Like um, getting getting to the top of a corporate food chain is is hard. And so if you add female competitors into that arena, mm-hmm. then it will feel like more men are missing out, quote You unquote. think some of us are scared? Absolutely. Oh, are but oh, well, that's like, understandable, right? Sorry. Like I mean it's change. It's something it new. Is. And and so, you know, giving space for those feelings and, and how people feel and that fear is important. Because until we address that fear, then we can't really address anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't address a problem until you address the emotions that are underlying that problem and until you acknowledge those emotions and you find solutions for those emotions,
1: mm-hmm.
2: those problems that are um, triggering those emotions, right? And so, for example, um, I had one guy who's very very close to me and who's quite feminist leaning himself he was very um, fearful around the me too movement and he goes and he said to me he said so what i can't ever touch a woman and i looked at him and i said would you ever touch a guy
1: wow wow
2: like you know like for so this was in the context of like if he's in an elevator and he needs to get a woman's attention so, so she moves over and gets out of the way so he can get off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, would you do that to a guy? Would you touch a guy on the waist? Wow. And he was like, well, no. And I'm like, then why would you touch a woman? Like, what gives you the right to put your hands on a woman's body? Right. You should be scared to touch a woman just like you're scared mm-hmm. to touch a guy.
0: Right. Period.
2: Huh. Like, there, there should just be that natural respect for another person's body space. Right. And so, move
0: like the gender is like the person of right. Like right?
2: that's a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he liked that response. But, but I, I still feel that the point stands. Right. You know, like I don't know another man mm-hmm. who would touch another man's waist to get him to move.
0: Right.
2: I don't know another man. Like I have friends who have I been. I want to
0: donate football games. <laughs>
2: right. Like <laughs> so. I have a friend who was. At a concert, and a man physically picked her up and moved her.
0: Really?
2: Yes. I'm like, what a violation of personal space. He would never have done that to another man. Why on earth do? Why on earth are there men who feel like it's their right to move a woman? Right. Like, who the do? Who do you think you are? Right. All right, so I'm getting a little like no, no, heated no, please, about this. Please,
0: no, please. I'm, 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 I'm listening because <laughs> that, that example you. Even me, um, and I'm somebody who's very aware, and and I, I think socially conscious when it comes to things like that, but that example that you use, I, I wouldn't have ever really thought about it like that. Like, would, would I touch a man's waist and say, hey, excuse me, bro, can you... No, I was like, bro, can you watch out on your shoulder or something? And right. even that, that, that might even be a stretch, so... But to yes. me, I'm sitting like, oh, yeah, maybe I might have done that, not even thinking, but...
2: Because Once it's a woman, the,
0: because, and it's something and it's that's not so actually so accepted. Yes. Honestly, as a man, we men we learn from other men. You learn from the older crowd. That's, that's how information is passed down. So I, I love that example. I mean, I, I love that. I wasn't even trying to get you, um, you know, right up. But I love that because that was an, a great example. Um, I mean, know. It, you know what? It reminds me of there was a tweet that you sent me about a gay man, who, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, who actually said, you know, like when I'm in the locker rooms, I don't like, I don't. Have to make other men wear towels or make them get uncomfortable because I'm attractive men. So why should we treat you know a woman like that? It was something Absolutely. around those lines, and, and that blew my mind. I mean, I think I still have that that picture of that on my Instagram somewhere. But that blew my mind because that 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 was. I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that. When like yeah. you're trying to make somebody who's who's am um, trying to fight, you know, that view. Yeah. That's a great example. So I, I get it.
2: I think the other. I'm not, um, I'm not homosexual, and so right. I want to be careful with the jokes that I right, say here. Right. But right. there was another tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I should probably look it up so that I can give proper credit where credit's due. But right. it said something along the lines of, if you want to teach a straight man about consent, mm-hmm. send him to a gay bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so that would be my other thing to say to men, yeah. is before you do it to a woman, would you feel comfortable being at a gay bar and having it done to you
0: right right
2: like that would be my question and if it doesn't pass that test probably shouldn't do probably it
0: probably shouldn't do it no that, that that's not all and,
2: and i'll give it to them that it's uncomfortable right. i'll give it to them that there's fear involved right. and i and i acknowledge that and it's right. valid and i want to give space for that and i want to honor who they are right um and I also want to say that it is hard because you're coming from a position of privilege. And right. so you do have something to quote unquote lose right. in this battle, right. quote unquote, like, you know, like you do lose an amount of power.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You do lose an amount of taking the world for granted. Right. Right. Like if you, if you're walking around the world where you can just shove women aside, the fact that you now have to take women into consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's hard. Right. And I'll give that to you. Right. But really it should have been done all along. Yeah. And it's the same thing with, with people of color, right? Like, yeah, we, it is uncomfortable to take into account how all those moms feel, all those moms like all those boys who've been killed by cops. It hurts to take that into account. But let's be real. If this were a bunch of white suburb soccer moms, that shit would have changed fast. That shit would have changed. Because, I'm like, look at the vaping situation. Like, two people die from vaping and all of a sudden there's legislation.
0: Right. Like. Everywhere.
2: Yeah, and I'm like, how many, how many women and men how many mothers and fathers how many brothers and sisters how many friends have to mourn before we change and before we implement bias training right because we all have it we all have it it's we're human right and so just acknowledging it and making those biases normal right not okay It doesn't mean that it's okay to have that bias, but just acknowledging it and then getting training on how to overcome it so that you don't treat somebody differently because you have that bias. And then if you come to a point where you choose to overcome that bias, bravo, good on you.
0: I think uh, part of one of the, the, something I take from that is. It's not so much... I'm not thinking about the change and the comfortability of how I... F- although mm-hmm. the uncomfortability of how I feel as a man, I think, in the grand scheme of things, um, it sounds selfish, but I'm getting aware from my future daughter, who I don't know yet. Mm. I'm getting aware from my mother, who's been on yeah. earth and, ha- and has had to endure that. Um, I'm doing it for my sisters. Because in this world, it's human nature. You would never really want to change or do something unless it affects you personally. Absolutely. So, um, if it, it, it's sad that it has to take something, something like that to say, hey, I got to treat a human being just like me. But, you know, I do have that, those things to think about. So, I, mean, I do appreciate you, you know, shedding some light on that. Because it's, it's, it's a movement that I've just kind of sat back and ate my popcorn and observed. <laughs> and so, <said>, okay, so.
2: <laughs> There's a
0: lot to observe. There's a lot to observe, yeah. So, <laughs> but. Kimmy, I appreciate you for um, doing this for me today, for being my first guest. Um, oh my goodness,
2: thank you. Thank it's you so
0: much. Yeah, and we, We've talked about this many times. I'm, I'm glad we actually got to do it today. Yeah,
2: for um,
0: sure. I think it will make a lot of people, um, like I said, the reason for the show is to make people think and just get another perspective. You know, there are many shows and podcasts out there that are just based on one thing. Um, somebody asked me, what's your show about? I, say, I don't know. But you're gonna I learn something. It. I don't know, but you're gonna learn something from it. So um I do appreciate you again for um being my guest today. And at some point, you know, when I'm a millionaire, I'll let you know. I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> Come back for me. I'll give
0: you that. But thank you so much, Taylor. <laughs> <a good> <laughs> That's.